welcome to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I am the Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor at Digiday. So Kaylee, you're up this week. You spoke with Ryan Harwood, who is the CEO of Gallery Media. So Gallery Media, they seem to be pretty active on TikTok. Did Ryan talk about like how they're organized for handling their TikTok account? Because it feels like we've moved into a phase where some media companies are now starting to set up or figure out whether they should be setting up like dedicated TikTok teams as opposed to we'll just have our social team handle it. Yeah. So Gallery Media is kind of unique in terms of their TikTok strategy because it's very much split between like their owned and operated editorial TikTok channels and then also operating brand accounts and creating brand campaigns on TikTok. So like both sides of their business, the business side and the editorial side are working on TikTok um, in different ways and different capacities. But they also like inform each other because those teams can see the trends that are happening on the platform in different ways. And it kind of is like a almost like a flywheel effect he describes it as because they're informing each other and the teams are like working with each other too. So he gets into it. Like this entire episode is just warning to the listeners. This entire episode is focused on TikTok. So if you have any questions, he likely answers them about it. But it's basically like how do the brand accounts best function with the editorial knowledge that they have of growing a like 20 different channels on TikTok um, from an editorial organic perspective. So he gets into that quite a bit. Got it. And trends huge on TikTok. There's always some new audio mm-hmm. that people are using. Has he noticed or gallery noticed any like big trends when it comes to either like content strategies with TikTok, either from an editorial standpoint or from a branded content standpoint? Yeah. So I think what the biggest takeaway was that I got from this conversation is that like the strategies that were working at the beginning of 2021 aren't the same strategies that are working now, Um, whether that's from like a brand campaign perspective or editorial perspective. um, We talk about, you know, TikTok is a very personality driven app. The creators on there are strong identities in and of themselves. So when you're creating a campaign, and you're paying them to do what you want them to do, similar to YouTube, it doesn't really translate the way to the audience that you think it does. And so he calls out towards the end of the episode, one strategy that they did that by the end of the year, like after even a couple campaigns, it wasn't working anymore. So it's very much focused on voice and being authentic on the platform. Um, And he talks about the different ways in which they go about figuring that out for both editorial and brand. But I think that was the biggest thing is like what was working a year ago isn't working today. And you have to really be iterating on your strategy on the platform in order to make the impact you want to. Got it. So special conversation of TikTok talk with Ryan Harwood coming up. Thanks, Kayla. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us on the Digiday podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about all things TikTok, um, TikTok strategy, and how Gallery Media Group has really built a um, strategy for itself and for your brand partners on this platform. I think that kind of a year in review, um, looking at how TikTok has developed and changed and um, getting a good 
look at how you've also developed and changed your strategy would be a really great way to kind of wrap up this year. Um, but I guess to kick it off, could you tell us a little bit about how Gallery Media Group has grown its TikTok strategy and what all that looks like? Because I know you're not just focused on your media brands, but you know other brand partners as well on that platform. Yes, absolutely. I'd say you know we've been creating our own channels, our own media brands, starting with Pure Wow and 1:37 PM um, years ago. But then we also started launching ancillary channels. You know, we we own at recipes and at self care, um, at cocktails. So at desserts, there were a lot pets. At moms is a big one. So we started launching these vertical based channels. And really just intimately got to understand and know the platform because it is very, very different from all the other platforms out there. Um, and we're starting to see a lot of these other platforms take note of that and start to, I don't want to use the word copy, but like really take note that music and these native features that made TikTok explode, they are starting to adopt them in their own way, shape or form. Um, so that's kind of how it all got started in terms of like really becoming best in class and intimate with what works and what doesn't work on TikTok. And of course it's evolved over the last two years as well. Every day it evolves. So you do have your own, um, I guess owned and operated channels like your brands, Pure Wow, 137 PM, um, and a couple of those other more vertical based channels that you mentioned, but you also run brand channels, right? Like you have clients that you are responsible for their own performance on TikTok. Can you talk about how you got into that and like maybe how you convince brands that you're the best person or best company to do that? hundred percent. So I'll take a step back because I think it, it, the context on that matters. Um, you know, the way we think about publishing, we think about the publishing landscape a little bit differently. We've shifted our mentality to what we call internally digital publishing 3.0, which is really a true hybrid of a media publishing company and then some service-related arms like social creative and influencer marketing. We almost think of it as like the anti-publisher mentality, if that makes sense. And it's really what it is, is it's tr it's basically not being self-serving. It's not trying to sell high margin publisher products or try to force owned and operated simply because it's the most profitable. Your clients, platforms, and publishers are smarter and savvier than ever before, consumers included, by the way. And the platforms are garnering more consumer time and attention than ever before. So the way we think about it is when I ask my whole team to come up with ideas and plans of what we're going to do with brand partners, I try to frame it up in a way that what would we do if we own this brand? What can we do to drive the most impact and relevance for this brand to drive consideration in the long term, rather than thinking in the short term by selling inventory or publishing products to maximize product, I'm sorry, profit. Um, so what ended up happening there is when we started getting questions about what would you do for us? What do you think you're best at? 
we had to look ourselves in the mirror. And one of the things we were best at was building TikTok channels. It truly was. Um, but it's interesting because the first time it happened, we actually didn't come up with it. The brand asked us for it. They saw all the stuff we built and they were like, could you just do that for us? And at first, you know, that caught us off guard a little bit. We were like, um, we could, like, we, we haven't sold that to date. We don't know how to do that necessarily, but let's try it. Let's guinea pig it. And we did it and we learned a ton and it was a great success. And yeah, now we do it for about 10 plus clients. So, but a lot of it stemmed from the fact that the whole mentality now is this anti-publisher mentality of like, do not just do what is best for us, do what is best for them and consumers. Got it. And so you said you have about 10 brands that you do this for now. Who was that first brand that asked you to jump on board and, and do their uh, TikTok channel? The first one we ever did it for was Revlon. How did that one kind of pan out that, I guess, indicated that this is a product you should be selling to other brands? Yeah. So we it was a great situation because we had a great relationship with them and we were very transparent because it was a guinea pig. So there was a lot of kind candor able to be delivered from both directions in terms of like, okay, this is not Instagram. Um, we're not, everything's not supposed to be polished. You're able to have a different brand personality. You know, what I always like to say is Kaylee is very different in the boardroom than she is in a bachelorette party. Probably a brand could also have multiple personalities and that is not accepted normally in the brand world, right? Everyone, the, the term on brand is something that gets thrown around that uh, we think is an interesting term because I do think that consumers expect more from brands now to have personalities depending on where they show up. Your Twitter personality could be very different from your Instagram personality versus your TikTok personality as a brand. So that was a learning curve. And then vice versa. Like I remember when we started it with Revlon, um, we didn't use external creators as any as part of this. We did all internal content creators solely. And that was a learning experience too, meaning like we now mix it up. We use some external, some internal, some UGC. It's a mixture of a lot of stuff. So we learned from them as well because they were able to teach us that um, it was important to have external creators as well because of diversity and everything. So that was a big part of it as well. Is the partnership with Revlon still ongoing or have you, I guess, ended that particular relationship? We work with them ongoing in a lot of different ways, not necessarily in that specific way. Got it. Got it. So I'm also curious how, I mean, you you mentioned, obviously, you learned a lot during that process because running a brand account is likely very different from running an editorial account. But I do want to ask you about that. Like, what were some of the differences that you highlighted in those two areas? And then also, what are the teams that are running these different accounts? Because I feel like a TikTok um, creator is a very specific skill set that, in a way, would have to be fulfilled on both ends. But is it the same team running both? Or do you have two different kind of TikTok creator teams? We have basically started hiring creators at scale, <laughs> TikTok creators at scale, or just creators at scale um, <clears throat> that live in a lot of different places in our company. It's um, We have a resident program that we're really proud of where we train them and um, they get a lot of experience both on our owned and operated as well as brand accounts. 
so they do live in a lot of different places, but in terms of the, the folks that work on the our brand partnership ones, they sit under, under one arm of the company. Um, and what, I'm sorry, what was the first part of the question as well? Well, I guess, yeah, because I asked you like oh, several questions in that one. But yeah, what the mm-hmm. difference is between running an editorial TikTok account like tied to your media brands, but then what's the difference with running like a brand account? A hundred percent. So it's an end mentality versus an or mentality is the is the, the crux of it all. Meaning with our owned and operated, we we highly believe in high volume quality growth, especially on a platform like TikTok, which embraces volume and finding right instead of guessing right. So with the and mentality, it doesn't have to be one subjective opinion choosing whether they like this one or this one better. It's do both. Just produce both and put it out there and let consumers decide. That is a very foreign mentality to most brands. Most brands like to have um, stringent approval processes and it's an or statement, meaning like this or this, let's not do both. And I think it's been an amazing and a fun journey, especially for the brands that we've been able to convert to a more publishing mentality and acting more like a publisher. It's, It's so cool to see when it clicks and their eyes open and they're like, I oh, I get it. And like the reins just loosen and it's not as stringent as kind of like a video, you know, long form piece of video content for branded content on a website or on YouTube or something. And it's, it, it just, it starts flowing and that energy in the room and that energy in their organization. What I always like to say is once you see it, it's almost impossible to unsee it. And you, you want to do everything that way on all the other platforms as well. So it's, it may, it's really made work fun, to be honest, because it's 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 an educational process on a platform that is very fun. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, that's, for brands, it makes sense, like, testing more and, and putting out more content and all that. Is that kind of your editorial strategy as well? Like, when you mentioned turning a brand into, like, a publisher in a way, are you also taking that approach and just doing, like, an abundance of content on your TikTok channels for... I guess, remind me, how many channels are you operating as a publisher? I think we have about 25 now. Um, Yes. I mean, and and one thing I would like to clarify, though, is, you know, to us, this is not like throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. Like, that's not the way we think about it. To us, it's more like great ideas can come from anywhere. And I don't care whether it comes from my growth team, my editorial team, my sales team, my finance team, like if you have a great idea, then let's see if it works. So there, it doesn't have to be, or it can be, and let's see, let's not, the old way of like, you had one editor in chief that commandeered the brand and decided whether it was right for your brand or not, is just not one that we like to adapt anymore. Um, We want to see what consumers decide and say about what works versus us. I mean, this, you know, the, the best example that everyone likes to talk about over and over again is the, is the ocean spray example, right? With dog face and how that piece, they would have, that would have never gotten approved in a boardroom for a piece of advertising yet. it sold more ocean spray than they've sold in 10 years. 
I mean, they, and they didn't even pay for it and it sold more than any piece of advertising they spent millions of dollars on for a decade. So most of the time, a lot of these things would never get approved in a boardroom, which is why you do need to try a lot of different things and see what consumers care about, not what the one creative director thinks about it. And just for reference, for people who might not know the Ocean Spray example, that was um, a TikTok creator uh, who was, I think, longboarding down a street, singing to Fleetwood Mac and drinking Ocean Spray cranberry juice. Totally a vibe. Definitely got a lot of people copying that. And uh, I think he actually ended up doing pretty well after that as well. So <laughs> it was. It, it's a very good example of like letting the creators kind of lead the storytelling for brands if you just kind of listen and watch. Um, but yeah, okay. So I'm curious then to get a little bit into the editorial side of things. Um, I'm curious like how you go about identifying trends and content I guess producing content through the lens of these trends that live on TikTok, right? So like I think a lot of people um, in the publishing space who are building TikTok accounts, they're like, okay, we have to keep up with the popular sounds. We have to keep up with the popular dances. But that could feel a little constrictive, I think. Where does the creativity come in and how your media brands, how have they been able to kind of carry their voice into TikTok and make these destinations unique and original and building an audience, you know, how, how did, how, I guess, how are you going about doing that? Sure. So a, a few different ways. Number one is what's interesting is that TikTok is not the type of platform that you, you need to do um, dances and the things that originally made it pop and go viral. Um, you could tell whatever message you want in that platform. You just need to understand the native tools and features of the platform in order to do it so that people care about what you're saying and they lean into it. So it could be a really serious message. We could be talking about COVID-19 and vaccinations or whatever it is. You could talk about anything as long as it's delivered in a way that is using those native tools and features so that it feels like you know what's up. So that's one. So it doesn't, I don't care whether, I mean, great example, you know, someone in our space, you know, not technically a direct competitor, but like a competitor is, is Washington Post. Like look how Washington Post approaches TikTok versus their newspaper or even their Instagram. Look at their Instagram versus their TikTok. It's like unrecognizable from each other. They're saying the same thing, but the voice is entirely different, but the message is exactly the same. They're still delivering a headline or a news article, but they're delivering it in an entirely different way. So it's a great example of, of how it doesn't have to change the type of content, content output and topics you're talking about, just change how you're saying it. Um, but the way we often come up with ideas is, you know, we've created what we like to call this content flywheel. Um, editorially, where no matter where the, the the pop comes from organically, whether it's on the website, whether it's on TikTok, IG Reels, Pinterest, SEO, whatever it may be, we then try to, it's obvious that a consumer liked that for one reason or another. And then we try to contextually make it relevant to all the other platforms. And like I say, just say it differently. Just do it, create it differently, but say the same thing, just create it differently. So 
it is this self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts where it allows us to find right instead of guess right across all these different platforms. Same with email even. Like if there's an article that's just getting forwarded like rapid fire around and shared on email, that means it resonated with people in a crazy way. Let's now just adopt that and make it differently for other platforms. So we also, I mentioned this earlier, we really like to have a pulse on the emerging. And that is that applies to almost everything we do, meaning that can apply to a business model like influencer marketing and creators. Like we we believe in the power of influencers, which goes back to my original statement earlier today about like, I want to do whatever I think is going to build brand for the client and, and perform for the client, even though it's lower margin. Like influencers, not a great business. It's really not a great business to be in, but I believe it works. And I want to be in the business of whatever is going to make it work for clients, especially if I can use my publishing platforms to amplify some of the creator content and, and vice. That's the advantage of being a publisher that does this stuff too, is that we can use our O&O distribution to get even more legs behind a creator's content or TikTok content we're creating on behalf. So it's really never service related on its own. And that's why we're not an agency by any means, because we're always using our publishing channels as part of this to go a step further. But going back to the emerging point I'm making for a second, like in the influencer space, you know, we have a lot of influencer relationships that we connect our brand partners to that will drive brand awareness further. But I think our specialty is having a pulse on the emerging. You know, we have a revolving door of creators and influencers in the office and now more recently in Zoom, obviously during the pandemic, but just for the sake of relationship building. I mean, I don't know if, if you've heard the example or, or the listeners have, but like Hiram was in our office being interviewed well before he made CeraVe skincare go viral. And Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio and Addison Ray were friends of the family before they crossed the chasm to mainstream fame. So we're constantly trying to have a pulse on who's next and being historically correct there. And the same goes for editorially. So it, it might be more about like, oh, turmeric is the next ingredient that's going to be hot. Like, let's go deep. Let's go monk fruit is replacing sugar. Like, let's go deep and go all about recipes because if that's what we truly believe is a trend in the emerging, let's go for it. So that's another way that we're also finding right because our editors are tastemakers, right? That's what that's at the end of the day, edit, editors were the original influencers and tastemakers and they're good at that. They don't, they don't have to be on camera always to be good at that. So let's go deep in ideation that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you heard it here first. Monk fruit is the new sweetener. Um, <laughs> but okay. So I'm, I'm also curious then, like, do you think that, so you mentioned like, you know, you're able to talk about more serious topics. Um, you don't have to be doing the dances. You don't have to be, you know, very trend oriented. It's more about the voice, right? Do you think that over the past year, this strategy or the strategy that publishers have been taking on the platform has changed at all? Or do you think that there's still this kind of like, I don't know, stopgap in how um, some of these brands are thinking about TikTok? Because I feel like back when I was interviewing people earlier in the pandemic, even about how they're approaching emerging platforms, 
merging in quotes at the time because now they're huge. Um, they were still very much in the mindset of looking at the trends, making sure you're using the right sounds, making sure you're getting on the For You page because you can't, you know, boost content at the time or whatever it was. It was very much like trying to get that organic growth, but the algorithm at the time was surfacing these trends, right? So do you think like, long-winded way of asking, do you think that the past year has made a change at all in kind of the higher level approach to TikTok strategy from a publisher standpoint? From our standpoint, absolutely. Do I know whether every publisher is adopting this mindset or not? I'm not sure, but from us, yes. Meaning, like you said, eight months ago, nine months ago, 12 months ago, whenever it was, there was a formula to do things on TikTok and you had a chance at, at virality there, whether it was leaning into a trend or um, whatever it may be. And what ends up happening as these platforms become more mature and start working with more brands, they need to develop best practices and playbooks. And it, to us, when that starts happening, that's the exact time usually to go exactly against the best practices because it means every single brand and every single publisher is doing the best practices that the platform has now come up with. I think the best example of that was years ago, I don't know when, maybe let's call it five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago when Facebook was telling every single brand to shove the brand logo or some or the product in the first three seconds of the video. Um, and that was very evident to us that they were doing that because they wanted to reverse engineer the results of a Nielsen brand lift study or a Millward Brown study that they were getting measured on in order to get more ad dollars. And I have empathy for that, right? That's, that's a business. It's capitalism at its finest. So I'm not blaming them for that at all. But our advice to clients at the time or even ourselves was like, no, like the whole point is to do something entirely different than what everybody else is doing in order to break through the noise and break through to get virality. So same thing with TikTok. We're now starting to see a, a maturity where everyone's kind of got the same formula of like, I'm going to create a hashtag challenge or I'm going to create a song and a dance. And I'm going to create like there's this playbook of like three or four tropes that everybody's doing in order to try to show that they know how to do TikTok. And we're like, nope, that's no longer the way to do TikTok. We need to hack that hack the algorithm, hack the content. I mean, creative is always the variable to success, period. End of story. So if you're doing the same creative as everyone else, how are you supposed to break through? So I think that it is changing by the day now because a lot of people are, are playing now. It's no longer, like you said, emerging, even though it is emerging. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back. A lot of the videos on my For You page, is they always have the same kind of hashtags. Like I think right now it's like hashtag Pandora hat challenge or something like that. And like <laughs> I don't know, I am imagining Pandora created that, but I don't actually know. I don't know what the initial brand mission was behind that hashtag. And I feel like when something's doing well – that hashtag just gets slapped across a bunch of videos from individual creators who want to be on your For You page but aren't actually selling you anything. They're not an ad partner. They're not like a creator that the brand paid to put that hashtag on there. Does that water down brand campaigns in your opinion? Because I feel like 
clearly the hashtag stuck in my head, but like, I don't know what it is or even the, is it the Pandora bracelet? Is it Pandora, the music streaming service? Like, (laughs) I guess I'm curious, like, does that strategy, is that kind of like, you know, um, out of date as well? I think so. Um, Particularly, particularly it's out of date for the people that are trying to jump on a trend just to catch the wave. Like if you're just a random creator and you're like, oh my God, Pandora app challenge is taking off. If I hashtag this, other people will see me because I'm going to be part of the wave. Um, I, I don't think that's the way it works anymore. I think that's the way maybe it worked in the beginning. So people kind of are still adopting that mentality, but I don't think that you're going to be discovered because you did that and now are part of that challenge, so to say. I think it gets weeded out. Um, but even even from a brand perspective, which I believe is your core question, I think hashtags are still a, a feature of discoverability that can be used, and it certainly aggregates things for, for discoverability, but I don't think it's the core of why there's a successful campaign or anything like that at all. That has a lot to do also with the hashtag challenge product that TikTok sells as one of their premier products. Like, you need to have a hashtag for it so that it all aggregates in one um, feed, so to say. So I don't think that's a core part of success on the platform outside of the hashtag challenge product, though. Mm -hmm. Got it. And then I'm also curious, too. So, like, now um, TikTok does allow, like, ads on the feeds that kind of get surfaced. And I think that's paid, like, boosting of of, – campaigns. Do you kind of dapple in that at all? Like, have you done paid growth for your brand partners at all? Or have you kind of just focused on organic reach? It's majority organic, but we've definitely dabbled. We've definitely dabbled. We've dabbled for ourselves too. When we see a, I mean, listen, we truly believe brands are built on social and we double down on this ethos for ourselves and our partners. So if we believe in that, then even if a pure wow piece of content is taking off organically and consumers have basically showed us through their behavior that they think this is a great piece of content, then why wouldn't I boost that and try to get more eyeballs on it for my own brand? Build the brand, build pure wow, build 137 PM to what people should know about it and think about it when they think of our brand. So we do, we do the same for some of our brand partners as well. We'll boost an organic piece of content and get it out further Um, But no, we're not, because we're not uh, a media buying agency, we don't ever like do like self-serve ad buying, like create an ad and put it into the platform or do the hashtag challenge for them. We're basically boosting organic content is doing well. That's going to help them get more followers and make them have a very healthy TikTok page because it is healthy to do a combination of organic and paid in order to have a a healthy page. Do you think it's worth it then? Like does the kind of financials of it trade off? Like, I guess, do you see actual metrics increasing because you've paid for it? Or do you find that organic typically, you know, works to a degree if you've done it right? It 100% works if you've done it right. Um, To your point, what I'm seeing right now is that it works best if you do both. But if you don't do paid, you still can have a very healthy page, which is why we love the platform so much. Like, that's not the case in most other platforms right now. You can reach barely anyone anymore in a lot of other platforms with just organic. In TikTok, you still can reach a ton of people and still build the page in a very healthy manner and rapidly with just organic. 
I just would recommend doing both if you can afford it. I also want to talk more about your creator, like influencer type strategy there, because you mentioned, I believe, like a residency program where you have these relationships with creators that you've been building. Can you talk a little bit about that and how it ties into your TikTok um, brand campaigns or your TikTok like editorial strategy as well? Absolutely. So again, we believe brand is, is built on social these days wholeheartedly and therefore trying to hire and build relationships with the base, best creative talent on these platforms is incredibly important to be best in class at them. So whether it's hiring them full-time, whether it's hiring them in our residency program, whether it's just having a relationship with them freelance, or whether it's just having a relationship with them just for inspiration and getting to know them to understand why they're so good at what they do, um, it's all of the above for us. So, you know, the residency program is a program where we are uh, basically hiring folks to create for our personal channel, our owned and operated channels, as well as our brand partner channels. So they're doing both. It's, it's, you know, it's a puzzle in terms of like who's working on what. And we're constantly shifting based on where we see their skill sets are. Someone might have a affinity towards beauty versus food versus parenting versus sports and gaming. So it really depends on where we see them gravitate towards and where they can triple down on their strengths. But we think in the publishing game, the next wave, who's going to win are the people that have the creative talent on these platforms and can really move faster and have and drive down the cost of content creation for brands, for ourselves and for brands. I mean, content is way too expensive. Brands pay way too much money for content right now, and they don't need to. It's our job to figure out how to create content at a lower cost. Doesn't mean at the at the um, sacrifice of quality. Quality and and price should not necessarily go hand in hand, especially in a, you know in today's era when you look at what goes viral on IG Reels and TikTok and YouTube Shorts and things like that. Um, so if we can drive down the cost of content creation internally at all costs by having a lot of creators that are really good at what they do, then we can pass that along to our clients as well. And I think that's who win that's who wins ultimately in the long run. Maybe not in the short run, but in the long run, I think that's who's gonna win. So that said, it it sounds like TikTok is such a major focus for, you know, gallery media group. Um again, both right from now. the brand it is, right now, right now, <laughs> right? But, Meaning like that could change depending on where consumer attention is. We are not romantic about anything. This, as soon as attention shifts, we could shift with it. Is, is that the cultural DNA that I want in the company at all times is don't be jarred. If tomorrow we say we are no longer interested in creating content for this platform after we just invested years of doing it. Right. But I'm just curious from like a budgetary standpoint and even revenue, like how much of, you know, your focus on the budget is tied to TikTok and developing your creator residency program or hiring talent to do this? Like, realistically, do you think like half of your company is, you know, invested in that area right now or... So we don't yeah. think of it like that. We, we, th we don't think of it like that because we think of if you're a great creator, you can pretty much create everywhere. So 
TikTok just happens to be the place that is um, a, what's the best, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a um, incubator. It's a, um, it's like the minor league baseball in terms of like a farm system. It's the best farm system for finding incredibly creative talent. But those people, we try to look for Swiss army knives, meaning like they could, they could do more than just one thing. They could, maybe they're, they also could be a videographer and post-production creative. Maybe they also could create pins on Pinterest. Maybe they write as well. A lot of these creators can write, they can write. So if they're assigned an article from our editors, our top editors, they can write. So they just happen to be so innately creative that we want to invest in the most creative people that we think are great ideators and think on their toes. So we don't think of it as like, oh, I'm investing so much money in TikTok. We think of it as we are investing so much money in a generation of talent that is just unprecedented and they just happen to find their way on TikTok first. Got it. Okay. And then we're nearing the end of time, but I do want to ask, um, because I think it would be very beneficial You've experimented a ton on TikTok. You've done different brand campaigns. You've done different editorial initiatives, had a lot of wins. What are some of the losses? Like, what are some of the learning things that you've taken away from the past year in experimenting on this platform that could be something that people take away from this conversation? Sure. Yeah. One that sticks out in mind is like, obviously music is a big part of the platform. Um, and we quickly started making another revenue stream we developed was making music for our clients and custom songs and beats. And uh, as part of influencer campaigns or part of our own branded content campaigns that we would distribute on our channels for them. Um, and at first, because the platform, and this goes back to what I was saying before that like best practices and, and playbooks that, uh, that become stale very quickly you know, we were of the belief in the early days on some of these influencer campaigns that like, let's create a song and let's have all the influencers do the same thing because it might create a ripple effect and it, you might get UGC and everybody starts copying and starts doing it and stuff. And that worked actually twice for us. We had two huge wins like that. And then we did it more and it quickly expired, meaning consumers got hip to it and they're like, I'm not doing this. I'm not copying like a brand's dance or whatever, or forget about even a dance, like anything that like these influencers were paid to do and they're getting, trying to get everyone to do that. So we had to course correct pretty quickly after having like one or two campaigns that we didn't see that breakthrough virality, even though we were seeing it at first. And we had to pivot to much more of like, let the creator make the brand, the hero in the video that they believe is going to resonate best with their, of course, like we have to give them some guardrails and some direction, not just complete creative freedom, but let them create. That's what they do best. And let them have a lot of creative direction for us, not give them these stringent guardrails or script. If you try to script them or tell them exactly what to do, which is what we were doing prior by saying, okay, influencers, all of you do this. All of you copy this one thing that we created in our strategy. So it was a win at first that became a loss and we had to innovate on it quickly because it was no longer working in the platform. And, and that's something that sticks out in mind is that became a loss over time. Yeah, that almost sounds like um, the, the iteration of it and letting the creators have control. It almost sounds like a YouTube um, strategy 
for brands in a way because I don't know. I feel like there was a lot of talk about like you know when you give a influencer on YouTube a script, it sounds very like I don't know robotic and people just skip through it. But when they're talking to you and integrating it into their like vlog or whatever it is, it feels a little bit more natural. People might stick through it. That's kind of it. Sounds a little bit like what you're doing now. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, I would say so. I think it's very much. Um let them create in the style that their audience is used to them creating in. If you try to change that style entirely or the humor or whatever it is that they're best known for, like it's going to come across, it's going to fall flat, like period. So I think it is, I think it is similar. I think it's, I think the differences in YouTube, um, like in TikTok, there's just a lot more formats that could potentially work for these creators. There's so many different formats and so many different features and native tools of the platform, duets and stitches. And whereas in, in YouTube, it's a little bit more like TV in the sense that you created your own show. It's not about the features of the platform. It's about you you being a personality and creating a, a almost a talk show of sorts or reality show of sorts. So it's a little bit different from that perspective, but yes, same theme. Got it. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about all things TikTok, the ins and outs, the wins, the losses. I think this was a really great way of wrapping up a year of insane growth on TikTok. Thank you so much for for sharing. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, having me on. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. Mm-hmm.